0: I grew up in Dallas, I went to Six Flags a lot growing up. My youth group would go to Six Flags multiple times every summer. It was my senior year, we went to Six Flags, and there's only one ride at Six Flags that after you've paid to get in the park, you have to pay again to ride the ride, and it's called the Dive Bomber. You, you are pulled up by this rubber band, which feels like a rubber band. You go all the way up about 220, 230 feet high, and then you pull a cord, and you fall for about 150 feet on a free fall, and then you swing on this bungee cord for a few moments. So my youth group was there, and they were, we were all challenging each other, who's going to do it? And you can have up to three people, and the more people, the cheaper it is for you, because it's $18 a person, or you have to pay $54 just to do it by yourself. So there were two of us that were gonna do it. We needed a third person. So we finally talked one of our girlfriends, one of our friends who was a girl, to do it with us. So I was in the middle, one of my guy friends on the right, girlfriends was, one of our girlfriends was on the left, and they began to lift us up parallel to the ground. And that's, for some people, the scariest part of the ride is you were just being pulled up by this bungee cord parallel to the ground, 230 feet up in the air. We only got about 20, 30 feet up in the air, and the girl next to me begins crying hysterically. And this isn't a a preacher exaggeration. Like, her shoulders were bouncing so bad. She's asking to get off the ride, but the only way you get off the dive bomber after you're on the dive bomber is you have to do the dive bomber. So as they're pulling us up in the air, she is crying hysterically. I mean, snot coming out of her nose, shoulder bouncing. And I'm like, what do you want me to do for you? I can tell you a joke. I can sing you a song. We can have a prayer time right now. And she said, will you sing me a song? And you know how sometimes you're in a moment and a song comes to you that fits the moment? Because the first song that came to me that I started to sing was, Lord, Lord be there for me when I fall. It was a song we used to sing in the youth group growing up. Lord be there for me when I fall. And she like elbows me in the ribs. And then she had the audacity to say, will you sing me another song? Well, the next song wasn't any better. It was some glad morning when this life is or I'll fly away, I'll fly away, which is an old hymn we used to sing in our church quite a bit, which didn't resonate with her much at all either. And we get to the very top, and there we are just hanging there. And you're up there just kind of, it's like a hit pause just for a few minutes, or a few moments, and we're up there. And then we pull the cord, and we fall, and we scream our heads off. And then we do the ride, and we get off the ride. And do you want to guess which of the three of us was the greatest advocate for everyone else to do the dive bomber? It was the girl. She became the greatest spokesman that day for the dive bomber. Not just for our youth group. But anybody else around who was watching us she became like this marketing strategy. She loved the ride. It was this great adventure and then she began telling other people they needed to do it too. And when you experience something that is good and adventurous and something you love, you can't help to share it with others. And we're in a series right now that I've called Church Defined. And in this series, this is our third week. I talked about three weeks ago, I talked about just the the beauty of the church and the launch of the church and how the church is God's idea. This is God's plan B to restore the world. There's not a plan B or plan C. It's not that God started the church and then said, well, we'll just have this as an experiment and if it doesn't work, we'll go with some other strategy. The local church and the global church is God's way to spread the salvation of God and the redemption of God all over the world. This is God's way. Last week I talked about the waiting church, what it means to wait before God and pray before God, and that we move after the Spirit of God has moved in us, and what it means to be a church that is waiting on the Lord with expectations. And today I want to talk about the witnessing church, what it means for a church to be a witness to the world of God's faithfulness. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, you will receive power. And this is Jesus talking to the apostles, talking to the church. And I think this is one of the best ways for you to read the book of Acts. Through the lens of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In the Gospel of Luke, everything is moving to Jerusalem where there's going to be the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in the book of Acts, everything is going to move away from Jerusalem into the world. That's just how it goes. And I want to walk you through here just for a moment. I want to walk you through how the word witness plays out in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts. Because this becomes one of the defining words of what it means to be the church. Is The church is a witness. Now, the word witness shows up a few times in the New Testament, and there are a few different definitions for it. Four in particular I want to place in front of you today. It can mean one who testifies in legal matters. It can mean to confirm or attest on the basis of personal knowledge, or to confirm in a supportive manner, to testify testify favorably. So when you look at those th- first three definitions, you may be thinking of a court case, that there are witnesses, and sometimes that, what's, that is what helps sell a jury. We've, we've seen this even over the past week in some high-profile court cases where you have, you have people who examine, you have evidence, and you have witnesses who are bearing witness to what their experience was. And this is about personal knowledge. It's something you know. It may not just be knowledge. It's an experience you had that you were bearing witness to. And then the fourth one is to testify that invites death. It's one who witnesses at the cost of life. The word witness in the Greek is martyrus. It's the word martyr. It's where we get the word martyr, that we are witnessing to something we believe so much in. That we're willing to go to our grave because of this truth. And here's how it plays out in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, they need to bring on a 12th apostle. And here's what Peter says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In chapter 2, in Peter's long sermon, in chapter 2, verse 32, it says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. In chapter 3, verse 15, it's uh, Peter's preaching again. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him up from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. In chapter 5, verse 32, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And now in chapter 6 and chapter 7, you see what happens sometimes in the New Testament where there's a witness against either Jesus or against the followers of Jesus. Where in Acts chapter 6 verse 13, it says, They produced false witnesses who testified, and this is about Stephen. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. And then after Stephen's long sermon in Acts chapter 7 and verse 57 and 58, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, rushed at Stephen, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses of that event laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. In chapter 10, Peter is learning that to be a witness... Isn't just about witnessing to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In chapter 10, Peter's also bearing witness to the fact that the kingdom of God is expanding beyond Jewish borders. He's there in the presence of a bunch of Gentiles in chapter 10, verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him up from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. In chapter 13, Paul begins using this word witness. In verse 30, But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now witnesses to our people. In chapter 14, God had used Paul to heal someone from an illness. And then people in that city are beginning to worship Paul. So Paul tries to get them to stop worshiping him. And and in verse 16 he says, In past generations he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways, yet he has not left himself without a witness in doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. And then if you've read the book of Acts, it slows down quite a bit after chapter 20. Because Paul's face is, getting, he is set on getting to Rome so he can bear witness to, to those who are helping to lead the Roman Empire about the greatness of Jesus. And, and some of this is Paul witnessing in Acts chapter 22, he says in verse 14, Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. In chapter 26, verse 16, this is Paul again. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see. In chapter 28, toward the very end of the book of Acts, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying and he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And there's this one verse in chapter 23, verse 11, where Paul, in telling part of his testimony and part of his story, says this, That night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Keep up your courage, for just as you have witnessed for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also in Rome. I think this says a lot about Paul. That Paul did not develop a hatred toward the Roman Empire after all the the brutal things the Roman Empire had done to the church and the Jews. Paul had a commitment. He wanted to see all people, even those who were leaving Rome, he wanted to see them come to salvation in God. He wanted to be a witness to the entire world of the faithfulness of Jesus. He was dead set on it. The church is called to be a witness by God. And it's not just being a witness of the things we know or the things in the Bible we have studied. It's witness to knowledge that we have, and it's also a witness to experiences and encounters that we have had with God. Throughout the book of Acts, their witness is not sitting down people who don't know about God and trying to witness to them about the story of Jonah or the story of Noah, as important as some of those stories are. Their witness was that Jesus came and Jesus lived and Jesus walked and he died and he rose from the dead. This is what they were bearing witness to over and over and over again. So this morning, I think there are people in this house and also online who are in need of someone to witness to you. And we are also called by God to be witnesses to the world. And sometimes I struggle. Do I use my voice to help encourage people who are in need of a witness or to encourage you to live greater lives of courage to go be a witness? I was uh, walking through the Salt Lake City Airport uh, just a few years ago. And I was walking through the airport and I noticed that there were a number of families who were coming to Salt Lake City for vacation. And you can just see the vacation look on on people, right? They had their sunglasses, their hoodies, their t-shirts, their sweatpants. You know this is stuff that, that a lot of people don't wear every day of their lives. And they were there to have a good time. You can see it on their faces. But as I walked through that airport, and I'm not exaggerating, every gate I passed, I saw people crying, hugging, and crying. And I would walk to the next gate, and I would see some families who were so excited to be in Utah and other families who were just weeping. And then the next gate and I thought I was in like some movie. I could not figure this out. If I am I in a Disney movie right now? Is this Notebook Part 2 because everybody is just everybody's weeping. What is going on? And then it hit me. There were families who were there on vacation, but this was also the time that the Mormons were sending out their young 18-year-olds on mission trips where families wouldn't see each other for 2 years. So in every gate there are Mormons being sent out on mission trips. And somehow their families were allowed in to walk with them all the way to the gates, and then their family's on vacation. And for over a year in the life of this church, this is what it feels like when I step into church. Is that some people are walking in, and you've been unfazed by the virus, your family's doing well, your jobs are in a good place, and then there are others whose lives have been totally altered by the last year. There are some who come in here and the social unrest of the world has been so heavy and others who just either want to ignore or you just don't pay much attention to the news to even know what is there. We have people coming in here every single Sunday where emotions and life experiences are all over the place. Some who are celebrating with great joy and others who are grieving whatever loss there is to grieve and we all come into the same place as a family, as a church, Focusing on God. So let me speak just for a moment because some of you are in need of a witness today to know that you may be at the end of your rope. And I think someone listening today, someone here, is, you feel like you are at the end of, the, of your rope. Hope is within reach. Where you may feel like you are all alone. But we serve a God who can go before you. But you may feel like you're as low as you can get, but we serve a God who can get lower than your lowest low. That heaven never looks at an individual in this entire world and thinks that person is beyond reconciliation. Everyone is a candidate to be reconciled to God. It doesn't mean relationships in your life will be reconciled or situations in your life will be reconciled, but reconciliation to God is available. And even when it comes to dying to our sin and what the cross has done for us, I love this one place where Paul says, you have been crucified with Christ. There's nothing you experience that Jesus hasn't also experienced in some kind of way. And I hope that just the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can be a witness to you today. That if God is willing to raise Jesus from the dead, there's nothing in your life God can't raise from the dead to. And now let me take a moment to encourage us this week to be faithful witnesses and and just try to help us know what does that even mean? In the movie Walk the Line, the movie based on the life of Johnny Cash and June Carter. There's this moment when Johnny Cash walks into his studio, hoping to record his first album. And he's playing this old gospel song. And the person they are playing in front of, who is going to either say yes or no, is bored out of his mind. And halfway through the song, the guy just like puts up his hand, and he's just like, "This is, do you have anything else? Like, I'm going to sleep over here. And Johnny Cash asks, was it the song or was it the way I sing it? And the guy said, it was a little bit of both. But the real problem is, I don't believe you. I just don't believe you. Like, you, you're not singing with any passion. Like, there's nothing behind it. Like, I just don't believe you. And I wonder how many people who are not connected to the church, and maybe they're not people of faith, see the church today and they hear a message coming from the church, but it's like, I just... I don't believe you because I don't know if you're taking this seriously in all of your life. And it's Frederick Nietzsche, a guy who never surrendered his life to Jesus, who once said, uh, if you'll throw that quote up on the screen, Frederick Nietzsche once said, The better songs they would have to sing to make me believe in their Redeemer, and more redeemed would his disciples have to appear. They just need to appear more faithful. Sometimes people ask, like, what is it, like, what's your heart cry for the church where you serve? And I hope God continues to grow. So many things that have been us for a long time that, that God will continue to grow our love for people and our love for uh, forms of equality and bringing people together from different walks of life and our commitment to service and compassion. But right now, one of the cries of my heart is that God will give this church an evangelistic spirit. That God would give the leaders of this church and the members of this church a burden for people disconnected from God. That we won't be able to go a day of our lives or a prayer time with each other. That we're not carrying with us a burden for people who don't know Jesus who, or who are currently not walking with Jesus so that they will know Jesus. And as it comes, when it comes to us being a witness to the world, it's not just a matter of you trying to be a witness, but what kind of witness are you? So here are five ways that we witness with God. Here's our five ways we witness with something. And these all come from the book of Acts and all the verses I read to you just a moment ago. Here's how I want to summarize what it means to be a witness from the book of Acts and let this try to be an encouragement to us today. Of course we witness for God, but we witness with truth, experience, generosity, joy, and power and partnership. And I didn't just put those last two together, try to get it on one hand. It comes straight from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The power and partnership is given to us. But when it comes to being a witness for God and a witness for the world, we witness, we witness with truth. And not just any truth, we witness with the truth of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We witness with experience that it's not just what you know. It's how we encounter God. It's the experiences we have. These are the stories that make some of the best testimonies. It's people who have encountered the the deliverance of God, the freedom of God, the reconciliation of God, and then we're not afraid to tell those stories. One of the reasons when you read the book of Psalms, when it says, sing a new song to the Lord, I don't know if you ever read in the book of Psalms, sing an old song to the Lord. It's not that old songs didn't count. It's the people who are encouraged to sing a new song because there's a, a fresh thing that God has done. And when God does a fresh thing in our lives, we have to tell a story or write a song about it. So you sing a new song because we are looking for what the next move of God is in our lives. We, we witness with an experience of what God has done in our lives. We witness with generosity. It is a commitment to a greedless life. That for the life of a believer, the life of someone who's been redeemed by God, that the thing that should drive you in life is not how much are you saving or can you retire at the right age. It's am I living my life in which everything I have, even my resources, is being fully, like it is submitting to the Lordship of Jesus, wanting the kingdom of God to expand in and through how I live my life. We witness with joy. And I've said this for years. That if you lose your joy, you you lose your witness. People don't want to follow a joyless person. It's not just that people want to follow someone who is right. It's that people want to follow someone who has joy and passion behind what it is they believe. And we witness with power. And we witness with partnership. That the power of God, the power of the resurrection of Jesus, has been placed in our lives and in the church. John Tyson who's echoing C.S. Lewis, talks about how when it comes to the way God runs the world, is God could choose to be a dictator, but instead God chooses to be a partner. That God doesn't want to reign the domain as a dictator, but one who is inviting people to enter into partnership. So we don't take our cues from culture. We take our cues from what it means to be a witness in and through the church for the world for the sake of the kingdom of God. So let me end by telling you two stories. In 1933, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was very frustrated with the threat, not just of Nazi Germany, but he was frustrated with how the church had become become complicit, how pastors had become some of Hitler's greatest allies and advocates for the Nazi party. And Bonhoeffer was a brilliant guy, graduated with a doctorate degree at the age of 21, yet he was so frustrated at what seemed to be the church's lack of willingness to live a life that was obedient to God. So he started a seminary. Bonhoeffer, Karl Barth, a small group of leaders started a seminary focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, focusing on what it means to live a life of devotion and discipleship to Jesus no matter what. Now, some people argue or debate whether Bonhoeffer was a martyr or not because he ended up up dying at the hands of the government because he entered into a plot trying to take out Hitler because he thought it was the only way to bring peace to the world. But he died a death being hung for years of his life, has devoted himself, calling the church, To not surrender to the powers of the government. Don't give into lies and manipulation. Stay true to what it means to be devoted to Christ. Justin Martyr lived in the second century. He was born in the year 100 A.D. And Martyr wasn't his last name. It was given to him later on in life. He was raised by pagan parents. His parents didn't know the Lord. And at a young age, he fell in love with philosophies. All kind of philosophies, stoics, Platonism. He he would just read one philosophy after another, looking for a form of understanding the world that he could like really sink his teeth into, like surrender his life to. Like he wanted a way to understand the world. Yet all these philosophies just left him empty. At the age of thirty, there was an older man who engaged him in a conversation, who introduced him to Christ. And it was at the age of 30 that Justin became a follower of Jesus, surrendered his life to Jesus, and then for the next 35 years of his life, spent time trying to reconcile faith and reason moving to places like Ephesus, where he would debate with all these philosophers about the fact that Jesus and Christianity was true. And not only that, he moves to Rome, where he wanted the Roman Empire and the authorities of Rome to understand that Christianity is not a threat against you. You need Christianity to spread goodness throughout the world. He was, he was one of the people telling Rome, like, you can't come up with a better health care system than what Christians have to provide. And he was this great author, a great philosopher, great thinker, great church leader, yet he was arrested at the hands of Rome. And at the age of 65, he was beheaded. And that's how he was given the name Justin Martyr. And I'll tell you the story of Bonhoeffer and Justin. Not to say this week that any of you are going to have something placed in front of you where you're going to die at the hands of the authorities of the world. But for you to know that for Bonhoeffer and Justin, For them, it wasn't that they lived a life because they wanted to die for Christ or die because of their faith. It's because they lived a life committed to living a life for Jesus no matter what. Fully devoted to the cause of Christ. So I would love for us as a church as we come to communion today to use this as a moment where we don't just remember, but we commit. We don't just remember what Jesus has done. We commit. We recommit. And if there's any way we can serve you, at sycamoreview.org, we have a connect card. There are boxes you can check, prayers you can give. For those in person, we have ways for you after church to connect with one of our elders. But right now, I'm asking for you to enter into this moment with me, and even if you're online, if you don't have the bread and the cup in front of you, will you just enter into this moment with us? let us bow our heads and close our eyes and I want our prayer to be this this morning an anointing and a blessing and a charge from 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 10 that we always carry with us the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in us we always carry in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.